the Panthers skate out with it. Jovanovski rolls it in. Lowry, Mellonby, and Barnes up front as they crash in behind the net. Meet the point. Jovanovski shot. Scores! Dave Lowry! You're listening to All the Kings Men, the official podcast of the Los Angeles Kings. The first odd man rush of the game. Now, here's your host, Jesse Cohen. Welcome back, Kings fans. My name is Jesse Cohen. This is All the Kings Men. I told you we'd have the episode focusing on the forwards before the puck dropped in Vegas. Here it is. Assistant coach and member of the 96 Florida Panthers team that reached the Stanley Cup final, Dave Lowry, is here. He'll focus on the forward ranks with me. And then we've got a conversation with self-described skills consultant Peter Russo about some of the finer points of the game. Never miss an episode by subscribing on iTunes or any other podcasting app. Subscription links and recent episodes can be found at lakings.com slash podcast. Joining me now, assistant coach for the LA Kings, Dave Lowry. How are you doing today, Dave? Great. Uh, so we're in a weird place now where the Vegas Golden Knights have reached the Stanley Cup final. I think the most close comparison we can draw to what they've done is what uh, you did in uh, the 95-96 season when with the Florida Panthers you reached the Stanley Cup final. Uh, it was your third season uh, after expansion. Um, you led the team in scoring in the playoffs that year, if I'm not mistaken. Can you talk to us about what, how, how unexpected it was in that season for you to reach the Stanley Cup final? Well, well I think you look at a lot of similarities. Obviously, uh, Vegas has fast-tracked uh, <clears throat> their their plan. Um, but going in, you have you have a plan. And nobody expects to to make the playoffs, <clears throat> let alone reach Stanley Cup Finals in your first year. Like like Vegas has, where we were in Florida, we knew that uh, it was going to take time, but we wanted to to build a foundation. We wanted to establish an identity, and we wanted to do it early. Those are things that we felt that we could control. And if you look if you look back, and if you're in the history of the game, in, in uh, the first two years, we missed the playoffs by a point. And, and it went right down to the uh, to the last last weekend of the regular season, and and then the next year, <clears throat> you, you fast forward, and at Christmas time, the Florida Panthers are in the first place in in their uh, in the Eastern Conference. And the reward for that was at the time was Doug McLean got to coach the All Star team, and and uh, you know that was the way that they had it set up. But nobody had ever envisioned uh, a team having success that that quick. Um, obviously, what Vegas has done is remarkable, and but there are comparisons. And uh, you know, the one big difference is is when Florida came in, they came in with Anaheim, and and now Vegas comes in, and and uh, you know they come in as one team. They get to pick a player off of off of every team, and and uh, where in the years past, and I look at Florida, you, you'd get a player. And each team could only lose a certain number of players. Uh, is it possible? One of the arguments I've made over the years, and <clears throat> listeners of this podcast are probably tired of hearing it, but one of the arguments I've made that uh, is that I'd rather have a team full of guys like Trevor Lewis than a team full of guys where you take a coin flip and maybe they're on Jacob Guitar, <clears throat> but, but maybe they're out of the league in a year or two. 
um, without, you know, leveling any sort of insults at anybody on Vegas or anybody on your 95, 96 team, is it possible? I mean, we see it every five or six years. There's some team with a, you know, everybody calls them lunch pail players or, a, you know, a, a workmanlike ethic with a good goalie that comes through and surprises everybody. Is it possible that that's what we're seeing in Vegas or is, or is that just not the case here? Oh, I think Vegas is a legit team. And I, yeah, I think you look at their players and, you know, Carlson doesn't score 40 goals by accident. Marcia was a 30 goal scorer the previous year. So they did draft well and, and you give teams credit that they did their homework. They, they, Obviously, through mock drafts and planning and that, you have an idea of who, and you run through different case scenarios, who is going to be available, who would you take, who do you want, and how do you want to build your team. They had a plan. They, they knew exactly the type of players that they wanted. They wanted to play a fast game. They wanted to play a skilled game, so they drafted. And it wasn't always based on size. They drafted character, skill, and speed. And in Florida, it's funny that we sat – after we were all drafted, we, we were in in the summertime and we we're doing a promotion, a promo tour and, and uh, you know, getting out in the community and raising awareness and that. And at night we would go have dinner and we would sit around the table at dinner and you're sitting beside a guy and you're looking at him and, and we were all thinking the same thing that, you know what, I hate you, I hate you, I hate <laughs> you, I hated you, I hated you. But the one thing that we had in common is we were all the same. And we were all players that were we're hard to play against and we and believe it or not that is a skill in its own right that you come you work you compete you play hard and guys don't like playing against you and we built our team with a core group of players like that but we also had some some uh, very good skill and through the years we added uh, we added more skill to complement uh, what was already in place but we had already formed the identity and how we were going to play Let's talk about that phrase, hard to play against, because that can mean a number of different things, and it can manifest itself in a, in a bunch of different ways. The Kings, over the last eight to ten years of their run, have been hard to play against in a physical sense. I think now the idea is to transition the franchise into a hard to play against, more towards the speed and attack uh, model. You've been brought in. This is the transition year. How do you think the franchise is doing so far? making that move from size to speed? I think you look at the players that we added. You, you bring Kente in and, and I don't follow. They're, they're two guys that skate. They're two guys that, that play the game fast. And they're not overly physical players, but they have... And, and we talk about being hard to play against. And, and relentless is a word that comes to mind. And, you know, sometimes it might be an overused word, but if you're relentless and you're hard on the puck and you're always working to get the puck back when you don't have and you're hard checking and there's difference you know there's, there's physical checking and there's checking through sticks and when you when you start taking time and space away from players and, and you make players have to make decisions under pressure that's hard to play against and you know sometimes we get caught up caught up in the hard to play against is the physical component in the game and the intimidation well the game's moving away from that Right now, it's moving into a, a speed game, and teams that are hard to play against are teams that are putting pucks. They're playing fast. They pursue the puck. They make you make decisions under pressure. Kempe had, uh, I think it was game three of the Vegas series that um, Coach Stevens singled him out 
for uh, for the strong defensive physical game he played. Obviously, everybody knows about his speed. Um, I saw something on Twitter that tracked him as being one of the third or fast, third or fourth fastest players in the playoffs. Um, when he came in, he was so lauded and highly touted. I think I made the mistake of expecting his ceiling to be sort of Kopitar-esque. I had a conversation with somebody during the playoffs who said it's more reasonable to compare him to to someone like a Robert Long. And when I thought about that, I thought, oh, well, that's fantastic. That changes my whole expectation level, and suddenly I'm much more thrilled with his development. Um, do you guys have a sense of where Kempe's ceiling is, or does it not matter? Are you just trying to get uh, whatever his best possibly could be? Well, I think we, we have a vision for him, and, and, and we have to keep mindful of, number one, is he is a young player, and number two is he was playing a new position. And but what one element that he does have in his game is he he has speed and he he's a very good forechecker and sometimes he brings the physical part of the forecheck sometimes he brings the speed through the hands and and he'll forecheck through the body. Um, you don't want to what you really have to be careful is, is you really have to be careful of, of where you put these players and who you make these comparables to because sometimes. We have, and, and everybody has extremely high expectations and hopes for their prospects. Sometimes they're unrealistic, and and sometimes it takes guys a little bit longer to find their way. And and with uh, Adrian, a year in the minors was was really good for him because it really gave him an understanding of the pro life in North America. And it's harder in the American League, believe it or not, is a harder league to play in than the National Hockey League. And and if you can get that taste early and you can bring it to the National Hockey League knowing that you never want to go back there, you do a lot of things uh, extremely well to uh, allow you the opportunity to stay in the National Hockey League. I'm curious what makes the AHL harder than the NHL. Well, take a look at the travel schedule. They play These guys These guys are playing three games in two and a half days. You'll play a Friday in one city, jump on a bus, travel through the night, get off the bus, play get on a bus again, travel through the night, and get on, get, get off on a Sunday and play an afternoon game. And you have guys that uh, are trying to get to the National Hockey League. It's a, it is a more physical league on a nightly basis. And it is, you know, when, when you're factoring in the travel and, and everything that goes with it, it's an extremely challenging and tough league to play in. You've been uh, in hockey your whole life. Obviously, after your playing career, you were a coach uh, in the WHL and a, an assistant coach in the NHL. You've coached against some of the guys on the team. Uh, you've coached for some of the guys on the team. Was there any forward that surprised you, you know, that you admired from afar, but when you got to L.A., you realized, wow, this guy's got an extra gear or an extra skill that you didn't realize? You know, I, I really think that Kopi uh, is one guy that I've watched him for a long time. I had uh, – a player when I was working with the Hibben in Calgary from, from Slovenia and he idolized Andre. And whenever LA would come in to town, Kobe would take the time to have a visit with him. And I kind of watched him and you don't really appreciate how good a player he is until you see him on, you see him on a daily basis. And, and I know that he had a, Outstanding year this year, and you know, worthy of Hart and Selkie nominations. That 
when you watch professionalism, you watch how he treats his teammates, you watch how he works every day. You know, that's a, that's a guy that uh, I've enjoyed watching. And, uh, you know, he, he's a great guy to work with on a daily basis. Were, was the coaching staff at all surprised that Dustin Brown and Andre Kopitar both had career years? Um, not that either one of them is old, but it's somewhat surprising for a guy like Brown to have a career year at this stage in, um, in his career. I don't think so. I, I, I really believe that you look at you look at the character of the individual and you look at uh, the year that he was coming off of and and the situational play that that he plays in and and I, I give Brownie a lot of credit. He came back in and, and, and also give John a lot of credit because John spent a lot of time last summer traveling and communicating and going and visiting the players and in their environment and, and really got a sense of what they were thinking and, and was able to, when you can build those relationships with your players early and you can build that trust with them early and you carry it through when it comes time to, to start playing, guys get excited. And, and uh, Brownie's a skilled individual. Brownie's a, a power player and he got back to playing the way that he he had to to be successful, and and with that came consistent ice time with Kopi and and playing on the power play and killing penalties. And his ice time grew, his responsibility grew, as well as, as his uh, production. We talked to Sean O'Donnell about the role uh, the defense plays in creating offense. I'd like to talk about the role the offense plays in creating defense. The Kings win the Jennings Trophy by allowing the fewest number of goals. They have the best penalty kill. Um, it seems like the most common uh, penalty killing units at the end were Kopitar and Brown and uh, Mitchell and Thompson. Can you talk about the different uh, roles those two pairs play on the penalty kill? I think I think you got to put Trevor Lewis in, in that group. Jeff Carter coming back in, and and uh, you know I think I think really our success was we were able to roll three to four pairs of guys through up front. And what it, what it allowed us to do was stay fresh, get pressure up ice. And when you're fresh, usually your decision-making is uh, a little bit uh, crisper. Is there any um, any possibility that Kopitar will play uh, fewer minutes on the penalty kill moving forward? As the as the bottom six uh, develops or ro- rolls into shape, or are you guys happy with the, the the amount he's playing? Well, I think you look at the year that Kobe had this year, and you look at his conditioning. You know, he really really uh, showed up in camp in, in outstanding shape. He didn't look tired at the end of the year, and the one key and one of the reasons why his minutes are up was you look at the injuries that we had throughout the year. And you take a, a, a centerman of Jeff Carter's caliber out of your lineup, and when you're taking face-offs in your own end, you look at the defensive zone starts that Kofi had, you look at killing penalties and being successful killing penalties. If you can start with a pocket and you can get a clear, you're probably 20 to 30 seconds already through on your on your kill and if you look at Kofi's zone starts that uh, really 
really puts them in the position and it really creates uh, extended minutes for them. We talked about Kempe and Ayafalo as far as younger players. Mike Amadio started out, uh, I think he played a few stretch of games at the beginning of the season and went back to um, back to Ontario before being recalled again. What's the strongest part of uh, Amadio's game and, and where does he have to get stronger uh, if he wants to stick with the team moving forward? Well, I think the, big, the biggest thing with, uh, with Michael is his vision and his hockey sense. He, he has a very high... IQ. He plays a game at a at a very fast pace, and just like every young player, they have to get quicker, they have to get stronger, and they have to get conditioned to play in the National Hockey League. and And it takes guys time. and Everybody thinks that when they when they show up that they're ready, but truth be known is, it takes a lot of young players time to develop and, and understand that you're playing in the best league in the world and you're playing against the best players in the world. And, and it is, you know, it's a compliment to their ability that they, they've got their toes in, but now you got to get your whole feet in. Uh, and listeners of this podcast will know that I am an unapologetic, uh, huge fan of Jeff Tanner Pearson. And I raved all season long about um, the addition to his game of going to the net and screening the goalie. I coached, uh, sorry, I talked to Coach Stevens. He credited uh, Dustin Brown, Bill Ranford, and the coaching staff uh, in helping Pearson develop that part of his game. Um, I'm curious how much of a role you played in that, and also if you see any other player on the horizon who might uh, be next in line to sort of develop that part of their game. Well, I think that that's uh, an area that everybody should be working on. And and reality is, is you have to get to the net to score goals. And we we always everybody wants to be a goal scorer, and some guys aren't prepared to go to the end to score goals, and then they always wonder why they can't score. And I you look at you look at Vegas's winning goal. It is a deflection. It's a mid zone tip, and they they work on it every day. As do, as do we at the end of practice. We have. Different forwards that come down, the D work on taking pucks off the wall, shooting pucks with the uh, forwards in front of the net, tipping them. So it's something that you work on every day, and you hope that uh, they see the rewards. How do you feel the uh, the experiment with having a, a power play coach who who watches up in the uh, press box, you know, sort of offensive coordinator? How, how is that working out? And, and have you ever experienced anything like that in your coaching career? Well, this is new, and you know this is. Uh, you know, I, I give management a lot of credit for thinking outside the box, finding different ways to uh, help create offense. And, and if you if you look at adding another set of eyes through a player who sees the game offensively, it's a it it can really help. And the the one thing that uh, Pierre was able to do is he was able to watch, he was able to communicate through video with different players, you know, different situations, and uh, it does it does help create and and you know the one area that we've always known that we've been a good team and our foundation has been built on defense and what you want to do now is you want to grow your game, you want to build it and and you want to add offense without sacrificing it and. And having another person who thinks the game offensively from the offensive side and sees the game from the offensive side of the puck, 
I think it uh, is only going to help uh, long term. The, the power play sort of seemed to struggle early, but it came on strong in the second half. I think from after January 1st, I think it was clicking around 25% somewhere in that neighborhood. Um, it felt like the team in general was was struggling to find it. Well, struggling is not the right word, but seeking an identity throughout the year as the bottom six. Um, I mean, I think he changed five or six guys over the course of a season. There was that tremendous October, sort of a wobbly January, but then you guys came together and got it done in February and March when you needed to. Um, is the team that finished the season, how much closer to the team you guys want to be what was the team in March than it was in October? Well, I think we won, we won a lot of games in March. And March is a tough month to win in the National Hockey League. And truth be told that, you know, we put ourselves in, in a position. And I think if we look at the end of end of the regular season, we finished with 98 points. That's, that's a, you know, there's not a lot of teams that have that success. And look look where it gets you, right? That just shows you the parity in the league yeah. and, and how hard it, it is to win. I think that uh, we're going to continue to build. We're going to continue to grow. And, and obviously, we know that we have to get better. Fair enough. Dave, thank you very much for joining me. You bet. Joining me now, skills consultant Peter Russo. How are you doing today, Peter? Good, Jesse. Thanks for having me. Um, I really appreciate it. It's fun. Uh, my pleasure. You were retweeted into my timeline. I concede I had never heard of you before a few days ago. But the tweet that I saw, and we're just going to dive right into this, was uh, this is you on May 20th. We think of body contact as a defensive concept, but here are a few examples of how engaging contact before first touch can be used for offense slash possession. Winning the space first is more priority than the puck first in many sequences. Now, the reason that stood out to me, Peter, is uh, the the LA Kings are are quite good at three-on-three overtime, and there was a sequence late in the season uh, Trevor Lewis was at the goal line, maybe a step behind the goal line. The puck came back. I can't remember if it was a, a intentional dump in or just a shot gone wide or an errant pass. But <clears throat> I noticed that uh, Trevor Lewis, you know, career third liner, Kings fans love him, but but I doubt many fans outside of the Southern California area know his name. Uh, <laughs> yep. He managed to box out, the, you know, his yep. man. And as a result of that, the Kings were able to retain or regain possession of the puck. I think it, I think it was in the Kings' defensive end. He was able to, to gather the puck, start a breakout, and what had been, you know, the threat of pressure in their zone suddenly turned into a counterattack. And I thought, wow, that's an element of, of Lewis's game. As I said, Kings fans love Lewis. He's the, you know, six or seven-time unsung hero award winner. Um, but I thought, right. okay, that's an element of his game that I had not yet appreciated and I started watching it right. and I started realizing that Kopitar's great at it Carter's quite good at it Lewis is good at it Brown can be good at it but it does toe the line between <laughs> interference and as you say uh you know engaging contact before the first touch so I'm curious when did you start noticing it and how important is it and and how do you avoid committing you know interference on some of these plays yeah, so I, I actually uh, I noticed it um, more specifically actually last year in the playoffs with uh, Philip Forsberg, um, and then I started to watch him more. And if if you watch his game, he does it all the time. Um, and actually, I think he might have been part of a couple of the clips of that you know little sort of montage that had examples of it. But um, so I started to watch him more, 
in the way he almost like almost like a running back is able you know able to sort of um, you know bounce off guys or create a little more space um, when he has the puck. I mean, again, there's nothing when you have the puck, you, you know, you can you know you can you can engage contact. Now, I think what you're asking is kind of before the puck comes when you engage contact, how do you avoid interference? Mm-hmm. I think, I mean, a big part of it is is obviously the timing. Um, you know, so I, it's kind of you know it's one of those tricky things that you know it, it's it's uh, if you're if you're like way too soon you just rock someone then it's but at the same time if if you are way too soon the defense is probably not going to be in a position to you know to get hit that way anyway so uh, like most things in the game I think it just comes down to you know timing and that's why that's why the anticipation is so huge and being in that space at the right time you get there you know you don't want to be somewhere too soon and you don't want to be somewhere too late and I think you know some of the better players you know some of the some of the faster players in all of hockey. You know, they might be playing in the NHL because they're fast, but maybe they're maybe they they, they skate past the spot or they're at places too quick or um or, or you know, but some of the more savvy players in the league, they're able to kinda like you know, like Philip Forsberg, he's able to kind of time where he is at the right time where, you know, again, like he's obviously within within the rules of the game. Um, you know, but also again having having that effect um at at the at that split second that you need to have that effect at because like anything you know timing is timing is everything with most things in life and it, you know it's no different um you know in terms of puck pursuit and forecheck and playing away from the puck i love the way you answered that question um because Thanks. you you answered you answered what was going to be my follow-up which was uh you referenced the notion of being savvy and, and you know, that, that speed isn't necessarily everything. I've been having this yep. fight with the hockey world. Nobody's paying attention to me because <laughs> I'm clearly wrong. But but I'm sort of railing against this idea that speed is the solution for every team in every scenario moving forward. And I can list off a handful of guys I've seen in my lifetime that had wheels to spare but no finishing touch and, and couldn't play the game, but they could fly up and down the ice. Um, right. So, so I see your tweet about using space, and I think to myself, okay, that's an interesting take. I haven't seen, I really haven't seen anybody talk about it on any of the telecasts. I rarely see any of the, you know, quote unquote expert analysts break it down on, on Twitter or anything. So I, I Google your yeah. name, I start looking into you, and I find an article um, where you bring up my second favorite thing, <laughs> which is the <laughs> use of empty space on the ice. Now, um, you tell this story in this article you wrote about playing. As a young man, I think you were in your early 20s, maybe even late teens, and you were playing yep. in, a, in a pickup league with a bunch of guys 35 to 65. Um, yep. I'm curious if you can just sort of retell that anecdote for for my listeners about what you learned and, and the importance of using empty space and, and how, how that lesson was imparted to you. Right. So I think it's, I think any, any teenager or young adult that's sort of played with their, you know, played in the men's league with their dad or uncle or a friend's dad or whatever it may be, I think they realize pretty quick that when they are just buzzing around the ice, because, you know, when you're 20 years, you can skate a little faster than most, you know, 65-year-olds. When you're just buzzing around the ice, you're actually, it's not very fun because you're never involved with the play. Um, and these guys, again, they're not up there to, you know, to buzz around. Like they want to, you know, depending on obviously who you're playing with, but they want to make plays and touch the puck. And um, it's a little more, of, a little more of a chess match. Um, but you, so with that said, you kind of learn how, you know, you kind of learn, or at least for me, how to control your speeds and time your speeds. And uh, maybe you take a different route to get somewhere based on the anticipation of the speed of, you know, the, the, the first part of the play or the, or the other players involved in the play. Um, whereas maybe, maybe the center passes it to the, you know, up to the wing, um, let's say on the strong side and, 
you know, you know, that guy's on, not as good a foot and you're, you know, you're coming across the sport for, as the weak side wing. Maybe you notice that and you go a little bit slower. Maybe you take a little bit more of an underneath route. So you're there at the right time. Whereas if you know, it's a guy that likes to go and really, you know, really, um, you know, really skate on first touch and maybe you're, you're getting on your horse right away too. And I think, you know, I, I think especially as you're younger, the game can be very frenetic. Um, and what I mean by that is it's, it's always go, 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 go. So when you get to, you know, when you get to the pro game, um, you know, and it's a little more methodical, uh, a little more systematic, you know, um, a little more puck possession based in a lot of areas, you know, again, the difference between the skaters in the NHL and the NHL is very different. It's just the guys in the NHL, um, you know, know how to use their skating to their advantage more. So, so again, I think, um, I think, you know, having, for me, you know, that, that story in, in general really, um, was eye-opening in terms of how I thought about the game and, you know, at the time how I played the game. But, um, you know, just thinking about more routes and timing um, and support um, and all those, and, you know, again, finding those areas, but at the right time, not too soon, not too late, and all those all those um, types of things. There's a phrase you used. Um, you said, they taught us that you aren't looking to pass to a teammate. You were looking to pass to an area that a teammate should be filling. And I read yeah. that sentence and I had a sort of moment like at the end of um, – the usual suspects where, you know, all of the little details suddenly start clicking into place and, a, and a, a larger narrative reveals itself. And it's one of those things that I think most people who watch hockey for a long time, I think we intuitively know it. There's a million stories about Walter Gretzky teaching Wayne to sit in front of the TV and, and trace where the puck goes on the, yeah. you know, on the little chart. So, you know, and all of a sudden, you know, over time, he starts seeing, you know, the place where the puck usually winds up and all the quotes about go to where the puck is going to be, not where it is. And, you know, whether it's right. Yari Curry or Brett Hull or Alex Ovechkin or Patrick Lyon, eight guys who can see- seemingly disappear on the ice and then suddenly appear in a in a pocket and, you know, hit that one timer when the guy gets it to them. Even when I'm playing NHL, you know, on Xbox, and I'm screaming, <laughs> screaming at my at my teammates. You know, don't don't pass the puck to where you think I'm going to be. Hit it in open ice, and I'll get there. And yet, right. and yet, <laughs> it's this simple you know element of the game that everybody seems to know about. And yet, it seems to be one of those things that we're constantly needing to remind ourselves of. Um, yep. Do you think it's because of that the frenetic nature of the game, or do you think it's an impulse to be the hero? You know, that everybody wants to sort of pull off the spectacular play i mean what do you attribute that to um i I think it's a i think there's a few different things um again i think as a kid the bet you're the best player if you're the fastest player and what you can do to be successful is skate around everyone um you know so again like so to use when you know if guys like you know gretzky was the fastest or the biggest um you know again patrick Kane's are the fastest or the biggest you know guys that had to you know, like when Eric Carlson was a kid, he, I, um, I was told he wasn't one of the bigger guys. He's kind of middle of the pack. So you have to actually play in traffic more. Um, but I think what ends up happening, those guys obviously have some, you know, elite attributes um, that are a little different than, you know, your your regular peewee, obviously. But, um, you know, but I think what happens more is, is the kids that or the players that get sort of um, pushed through the ranks at a young age, especially in today's um, – you know, the way hockey is today at the, at the lower level, even just, you know, you know, major junior college down, it's, it's like a, it's a very, like kids are coming to college at 14, you know, the WHL draft is, you know, 14, 15, whatever it is. Um, we're in a rush. It, it's really just a race to puberty. So, you know, you, you get your best. So a lot of times the, be- the better athletes are the most, the more explosive athletes at that time 
get, you know, more opportunities or um, are playing at sort of higher levels. And then, you know, you see it all the time where these guys kind of, you know, they never really quite make it in the NHL once everyone's fast and everyone's strong. And what, what you're, when, you know, the mental part of the game is really what separates guys. So I think that's part of it is, is that we, we tend to um, reward um, and promote our best skaters from a young age um, where, where we don't know if that's going to translate yet, because again, skating around, skating around people isn't the game, but it can be, you know, when you're 12, again, you're playing the same size rink as the NHL guys do. So, um, you know, it's it just, it's not hockey isn't hockey yet. So we have, we have tried to evaluate it based on end result and based on success. Um, so I think you get a lot of frenetic type of players playing together. And then, they, you know, again, it doesn't really, you know, it, it doesn't really jive in terms of having to, um, to do some of those things that are needed at the NHL, you know? So again, those, those guys get weeded out and, um, you know, there's only so many players, you know, it always makes you wonder like how many more, you know, Patrick Kane type guys would have been out there. Maybe they, maybe they were, maybe they, they quit and bantam because they, or they didn't make a team and then stop playing. But, you know, when, if, if they had a chance to really, you know, get through puberty and, and develop and, and those types of things, you know, how many more of those type of players with that sort of IQ would we have in the game? You know, we'll never know, obviously, but I think that's a big part of it. It seems like every generation, there's a handful of guys under 5'10". And we always look at them and go, whoa, my God, you know, Theo Fleury, how is that possible? Martin San Louis, how is this possible? Johnny Goudreau, um, you know, Braden Point, like, yeah. how is this happening? Well, I guess Braden Point might be only 5'10". But anyway, um, is it possible to teach the kinds of things that, that we usually attribute to these undersized players? You know, we go like, well, they have some intangible quality about them that allows them to compete with guys that are six foot four or whatever. Um, you, you write a lot about about the way you'd like to see the game taught. Do you believe in intangible qualities that can't be taught at any level? Um, I don't know about like to me. I think I think most I think mostly everything can be taught. To be honest, I think I think as a kid you have to be in the right ecosystem and the right culture uh, to get some of these things in terms of you know the intangible stuff that you're mentioning. Um, you know, but but again, the benefit that some of those smaller guys had and have, you know, is they have to play in small areas and learn how to, they have, they have to learn how to succeed, you know, with their mind, with their, with their hands, with the way they manipulated the puck with, with their, you know, where they held the puck on their stick. Um, they had to learn how to be strong in their skates because they're always involved in, in contact. They had to learn how to play through contact. So, you know, they're, they're always doing those things. Whereas if, if you're, you know, the bigger guys maybe don't have to until a certain point. So I think, so if you take guys like, you know, like a Martin St. Louis or, some of these guys you're mentioning, um, and you again, they grew up with that sort of passion for the game, um, which is kind of a really, I mean, that's the that's the X factor ingredient right there. Um, but you know, they have that passion. They, they have good role models. They're in a good ecosystem. They have good support. Um, they have good coaches and development. You know, and you'll see those guys. Um, you'll be able to, you know, be able to have success, even though they're you know they're shorter. Um, you know, but again, they're, they're obviously, you know, incredibly strong in their skates and, uh, incredibly, um, savvy in how they, where they put themselves. Like you never, you never see Patrick King get absolutely rocked, right? Like you never see that, you know, in knock on wood, you, you never see him. He doesn't get hurt. Very, he doesn't get hurt very often, you know? Um, and that's, that's not by accident. That's not because he doesn't play hard or play in dirty areas. He actually plays better in traffic than maybe anyone else in the league, but, um, with the puck, but, um, he's savvy. He's smart. He knows he, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't put himself in, in, um, you know, positions to, 
you know, um, again, to be heard, to, to be rocked, you know, he, he can, he can, he sees what's happening on the ice at all times in all directions. Um, and yeah, again, I think you have to really learn those things at a young age when you're smaller. Um, you know, so I, th- I think that's, that's definitely part of it. Uh, flipping through your timeline, you have a lot of tweets about, um, shape of the puck off the stick or spin of mm-hmm. the puck off the stick. This is a weird analogy, but whenever I get a new phone or a new TV or some new gadget, um, I don't read the instructions. I just start futzing with it. I just start, (laughs) you know, pushing all the buttons, pushing everything. If I see something, I go, I don't know what that is. I start messing with it, and and you know, within a day or two, I've sort of, I don't want to say I've mastered it, but I've I've gotten the groundwork (laughs) of how it works. Whereas my parents, bless, bless their souls. You know, they get a new thing and they, you know, they say, what is this? And I say, well, push the power button. And after 30 years of the power <laughs> button being a circle with a line through it, they still don't know what the power button looks like. Um, <laughs> is it important? You mentioned, you know, kids having to learn at a young age. How important is it to just get a stick in a kid's hands and have them do not even necessarily drills, but just learn how their body reacts, learn how the physics of the game work so that as they get older, that sort of baseline familiarity is just hardwired into them yeah i think it's huge i mean that to me like as a kid uh, you know you really the way you really get better is just you know messing around with the ball messing around with the puck you know being because again even even if you're in your rollerblades you know playing street hockey um and when i was a kid we played street hockey all the time i don't know how how um, popular it is anymore um but because again and people always talk about you know the skating the skating the skating so, okay well listen we can make someone a better we can make a 16 year old a better skater by just making them stronger more flexible more stable and then taking it through you know a summer of edge work like that you can get better at skating but at, but the things that are a little trickier that are more become more hard hardwired after a certain age is sort of that timing between your hands and feet, you know, um, you know, sort sort of the way you can, um, you know, manipulate your body and disassociate your upper and lower body, and um, you know, just kind of your overall being comfortable, um, you know, with your hands moving in a different direction in your feet, or sort of um, timing your feet on first touch. All, all these different things that you know you, you can learn just by again playing some street hockey, you're messing around in your driveway. Um, you know, I, I think that's so important and you know, to have the right thing, you know, I'm, I'm really big on sticks. I think it's important to have the right stick, um, you know, all, all through your, all through your career. Um, you know, but again, I, I think, um, if like, if I, if I had a kid that loved, you know, and you, you don't have to make them do it because if they, they're going to do it, but you know, I bet if you look back at a lot of these guys that have made it with when they were kids, they probably got home through their, you know, their backpack on, you know, on the floor and grabbed a stick and some rollerblades and, you know, messed around or play with their friends, or maybe you went to a local rink or pond, whatever, um, whatever, whatever it is. Um, but again, I, I think we always want to, we look at certain success models, success models. And like, you know, like a McDavid, it's like, Oh my God, he's so fast. He's so explosive. We have to train the exact same way he did. Well, you know, genetically he, he, he has some fast twitch fiber that, you know, not everyone's going to be able to have. There, there's certain parts of that, that, you know, you can't teach it, but we always want to try to, you know, replicate certain ways, you know, certain people did certain things. And, um, and, you know, I've, you know, and I've seen, you know, articles and videos as a kid, he would, you know, for him, he, he would be in a driveway all the time, just messing around, setting up his own drills, playing, you know, role playing, um, handling around things. So it's not just, Oh my God, we have to go on the ice and do the exact, you know, uh, you know, skating work, whatever he did, like to become a skater like him. That's not, that's not how it works. 
you know, so I, I, again, to answer your original question, I think, you know, <laughs> as a kid, <laughs> as a kid, it, it's, it's huge to really just, again, be comfortable throughout that process while you're growing, just um, at all the different stages of your growth, continue that sort of coordination and, and flow and rhythm within your body movements. Well, I was afraid this was going to happen. Um, every time you answer a question, it spurs five new questions. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to try and fo- focus down on one. Uh, for the for the listeners who want to get um, more of a perspective on the game that you offer, you mentioned disassociating your upper body and lower body. What's yep. what's a player that's, that does that? First of all, what do you mean? <laughs> Secondly, uh, <laughs> who are some examples that are really good at that? And how can the sort of average fan who wants to get a, a more nuanced understanding of the game isolate that talent and, and focus in on it? I realize yeah, that's so a lot, I a big think, question. <laughs> well, I think um, just just because, you know, two examples from this year's playoffs popped into my head. If you look at Kucherov and uh, Marcel, they both, they're both very good at it. I think Kucherov made a pass. Um, it might have been, it's probably a stamp coach, but it was, you know, he was kind of looking at the net and his you know, his, his hips were square to the post, but he kind of turned his hands off without turning his feet. Um, you know, he's a lefty, so he, you know, he's on the right right half ball side, opens up um, and throws one across Sam Close for a goal, um, similar to um, Carlson's goal against Winnipeg on the power play where Marcel has a righty on the left side, kind of was, you know, square to the net, um, op- kind of opened up his second pass without giving away pass. So if you, if you watch those plays, like, again, Kucherov skates in his hips and his shoulders, you know, they're, they're true to the net. Um, and then last second, he's able to sort of turn his hands off to the pass and snap one off without turn, without turning his whole body, which one, again, gives away pass and two takes a lot longer. Um, so having that sort of, and, you know, I, think I probably should start with what I mean by dissociation, but, um, you know, again, being able to, so if you're standing still, you have to keep your feet where they are and sort of, you know, turn your torso, um, and, and like, you know, look to the left and look to the right without having to move your whole body to do these things. Um, you know, and a lot of the play, a lot of the best players in games that and we talk, we, you know, we've talked about speed, but there's a difference between being fast and playing fast. And a lot of the guys that play fast, you know, like you watch the board, he's awesome at it on Tampa. He'll be able to pick up a puck that's sort of coming off the boards on the left side of him without turning his body to the puck. He can kind of keep his feet on the path he's going and uses, uses, um, his hands to sort of pluck the puck and use his stick and go, um, again, without having to turn his lower body to play. So, some of these guys that are the better guys in the league right now are they're, they're you know they're better because they're doing less than everyone else um and you know they're more efficient and they're able to use less movements um to play at the same pace that guys um you know that are doing more movements are doing so um again they're playing they're playing just as fast but but in terms of speed but they're thinking faster and they're able to cut out movements and make that to be a step ahead of the play um and in a game where there's very little time and space um, you know, those are the guys that are having success, guys that can kind of sort of eliminate movement, eliminate delay and lag and, um, you know, um, shave off those core seconds on little, you know, little parts of their own sequences. You mentioned uh, another thing you mentioned was that Vegas using a lefty lefty D pair. Um, yep. And you use the phrase smashing hockey cliches. Now, there's, uh, <laughs> there's obviously more lefty D men out there than right handed, but every team, you know, puts a premium on right-handed defense, but I know the Kings like to as, as often as they can use a lefty-righty pair. Um, how effective is Vegas using a lefty-lefty D pair? What are they doing differently, and what other hockey cliches would you say that they're smashing? And I apologize to Kings fans. We're going to praise the, gold, <laughs> the Golden Knights here for a little bit. 
Yeah, no, it's good. I mean, they're in your division, so it's, you know, it's good to, you know, try to, you know, it's a copycat league, so you want to try to take some stuff. But I think it's 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 more than just that they had a left. So they're coming out of a timeout, um, you know, so obviously everyone's rested. They're six on five, you know, in the Stanley Cup playoffs, and they put a lefty-lefty pair out there off a of face-off. Um, you know, and a lot of face-off plays, or sort of designed with, you know, having a righty and having a lefty. And, and like you said, there's, there's a premium. There's the reason there's a premium on righties is because most people that shoot righty are also right hand dominant. So they, they tend to not have, um, you know, as good of stick skills, you know, but that's why those guys that do have incredible stick skills, righties are, you know, some of the highest paid players in the league or the, um, you know, like, like a Drew W that you guys have, like he's, he's a righty with phenomenal stick skills. Um, but, but, sorry, I'm kind of, you know, uh, digressing a bit. But, no, that's fine. Um, you know, so, so again, your left-hand shooters tend to be better possession players because they're strong hands on top, which is the hand that controls the stick. So, again, it makes their everything a little more fluid because everything lines up a little better for them. And, and um, you know, again, it's, it's you know, going D to D or little, little things can be um, – there's again, it, it, but but what it comes down to really for me about that what they did on that play wasn't as much what it was as, as to what it says and sort of how it was a microcosm of okay yeah like you know wait why why does this have to be a righty lefty like what if what if these two lefties are my you know the guys I trust the most to sort of um, you know make the right play at the right time or um, type of thing you know so it's like all right well you know th- this guy's you know this righty isn't as competent as this lefty, but he's a righty. So we got to put him out because hockey, you know, hockey tells me for 30 years, I have to put a righty and lefty, you know, and we sort of get, we sort of get, uh, you know, those things ingrained in us. And then we forget to ask why, you know, and, and then once we do think about it, it's like, Oh yeah, well, yeah, of course I want, you know, uh, whoever Schmidt or whatever out there, whoever it was, um, I don't even remember who it was. Um, of course I want them out there. Like, you know, they're, um, you know, they're going to, I trust them to get the job done. They have a higher probability of getting the job done. I don't care if he's a lefty. Um, you know, and, and obviously it's things that I'm sure they have things that face off play that they practice with the lefties and whatnot. But again, I think it's what they, what it said about um, a lot of things in the game more so than what it was, just, in which is kind of what Vegas is in general. They're just, you know, it's kind of a microcosm of, you know, of a lot of things in the game that maybe we don't, we, maybe we, maybe we haven't thought about deeper or we have, or we kind of, because again, what we want to do as humans, we, you know, we have, you know, this sort of fixed mindset. We want to put things into a box and classify them as fast as we can, because that's, because then, because then our job's done, you know, whereas <laughs> again, you know, maybe, you know, maybe Bob in accounting, maybe he has good marketing ideas too, but you know, he's in accounting. So like, you no, know, just accounting. Whereas, you know, some of these guys on Vegas, you know, obviously like the Carlson's the easy example because, oh my God, now he's a 40 goal scorer, you know, when he was a fourth liner last year, um, Know, and it's like, man, like we wonder how many other guys out there that it's all right. Well, you know, we identify this guy as this role, and that's it. You know, whereas Vegas, they have their all their players can. There's not there's not as many roles. Um, all their players can do a multitude of things, which is where the game is in terms of versatility. There's a good thing quote. It's called, it says, um, "Stay in the center, and you'll be ready to move in any direction." And that that to me embodies Vegas. Um, they're 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 a team that is together in the middle, um, and they can have they can go in different directions at any time. You know, they're not big, they're not small. They have no stars, but they have no weak links. Um, you know, that they they can play a bunch of different types of game type of games, and 
um, a bunch of different types of ways. Now put out two lefties if that's what it takes. Doesn't you know whatever it is. Um, you know, so to me, they're very good for the game. Um, if you're someone that sort of, you know, wants to have more of a growth mindset and wants to maybe, you know, start asking a question why about some things. And um, and that doesn't mean that all of a sudden, like, every player should be lefty-lefty. There's definitely disadvantages to that. Um, you know, but again, it's more just – it's more about what it says in terms of asking why and being, like, on the biggest stage, you know, as a coach doing that and, you know, again, not, not really caring about – because um, I, I mean, and you, you probably know this. I mean, there's there's coaches that literally, you know, I, I know around here in New England in college when they recruit, they, they'll take a righty over lefty if if um, they already have, you know, they want to have three and three for the next year um, on the left side of three on three lefties, three righties. They'll take, you know, a righty who's a worse hockey player over a lefty to make that fit. Um, but why, you know? So that's kind of again that when I say the cliches, that's kind of it's just you know embodies more of a mindset that I think Vegas is has just completely shattered. You just became my favorite person in hockey um, by, <laughs> by asking the question why. Uh, I fre- frequently find myself asking questions and am constantly reminded that there's so many people who don't like questions and assume that, yeah. that by asking them, you are presenting an opinion rather than just asking a question. Um, so just in an attempt to, <laughs> to put the world in a box... Uh, so that my job is done, <laughs> which I agree with you is not a productive uh, method, but I'm doing it anyway. Um, I sent this to you and people who listen to this podcast will have heard me say it a million times, but I always say I'd rather have a team full of tel- 12 Trevor Lewis's rather than a team full of guys that are coin flip to be either Andre Kopitar or out of the league. And I've never yeah. really, I don't think, explained at great length what I mean by that, but I feel like what you just said is sort of what I mean. Trevor Lewis is a guy who can play center. He can play wing. He can be, you know, we have this phrase top line Trevor because every now and then he fills in, you know, on the top line, but he's also a penalty killer. He's, you know, he's versatile. He's not huge. He's not small. He's not fast. He's not slow. He's just a a savvy, to use your word, hockey player. And if you have 12 of them um, and a decent goalie and a half decent defense, it feels like the world's your oyster. Um, How annoying is it to you? to see we have 31 teams now and there's a handful of teams without identifying them that seem to fall prey to the same mistakes over and over and over again and fail to produce quality hockey year after year. How annoying is it to you to see careers and games sort of burn in this, in this futile system of of repeating the same mistakes? Yeah. Again. Yeah. So I I think again, it's a copycat league. So, you know, for you know, Tava had you know that when they had they had Kante's and um, they had that core and so every, you know and then Pitt did the same thing and then that was sort of deemed the model like have a core and build around and then then build around it but it's you got to get if you it, that doesn't have, come around you can't bank on that happen you can't bank on having the first you know pick twice in a row if you're you know getting Crosby and Malkin back to back that just doesn't happen and so you, like you said it's a coin flip they won that coin flip both of them you know what I mean but. Um, you know, some some other teams haven't won that coin flip with certain players, and you know, so again, I, I think it's even with you know with scouting and evaluating, it's um, you know with the draft and whatnot, you, you sort of if you sort of um, you want someone to be something. I, I think just again to me, you have to look at you know for these players. If you so uh, Trevor Lewis and obviously I don't know him, but I, I'd be willing to bet he's a very um, again growth mindset oriented guy, and I think. Um, to me, it's more about if instead of trying to again put put, put what they do and on the ice in a box, try to figure out okay, 
who, you know, obviously there's some, some a certain amount of ability players have. Now who has sort of, I need 12, I need, you know, 18 stairs with that mindset because the game's going to evolve every year. Um, and the game to me right now, it, has, it evolves faster than it ever did. Like it used to be like, okay, you know, every, every three guys, every three years, like someone, you know, players will become irrelevant based on the way the game changed or every five years, it, it's really becoming year to year. Now you'll see players who were, who had, who were very good this year, become irrelevant next year. So, um, to bank on just a player based on what he, what he can do in the game today is very, very challenging, you know, and I think teams, again, they'll sign big contracts to guys who, who have success today, they can be tomorrow and um, it'd be the same tomorrow, but then the game changes and maybe what they, you know, what they were doing doesn't translate as well. And maybe they're not the type of person that wants that is, you know, on is really on that edge of adaptation and, and evolving. Um, and to, and that, to me, if you look at Patrick Kane, He's one of the only, only black players who had, a, who had a really good year still because he's always working on his craft. He's always sort of thinking, okay, what's coming next? Like, what do I need to be able to do to still be successful? Um, you know, so again, you, you sign these guys who have success, and it's a, it's a coin flip that they're gonna, you know, they're gonna take you to, you know, the quote unquote promised land. Um, you know, so you sort of just, I think you have to look a little deeper into a guy's brain and his heart, and, and it's. Um, but again, mostly a brain because you can you can teach a hell of a lot to you know to a passionate athlete who has a high you know high aptitude um, intellectually, which all most of these guys do. Um, you can teach a lot to them um, if they want to if they want to be taught. So I think um, you know again I think I think yet nowadays you really have to look for that player and, and then not and then not sort of just based on okay a guy has has success you know he has a breakout year. You know, so we're going to pay, you know, now we'll pay him big money. Okay, well, why did he have a breakout year? Um, is what he does now, is it going to translate again? Um, where is the game, you know, where is the game going? And, where, you know, and if I can sort of think about that, and um, then it makes it a little easier to sort of um, think about the type of guys that I want on my team. You know, like a, like a Trevor Lewis, like he'll be, he can, again, he can adapt, he can play in a bunch, he can play 10 years ago and he can play today. You know, you know, he can play in different, um, you know, different types of games, different, uh, you know, different uh, styles of play. Um, if you look at the game now, well, like I saw the example I like to use in terms of just the way the game, how fast the game changes is the high log pass. You know, you, you, maybe twice a shift you'll see the defenseman lob the puck, you know, it almost hits a jumbotron and comes, you know, and comes down and there's a lot, and they're putting pucks in a place, almost like a punt. Um, you know, you're, you, you see it almost twice a shift where guys, guys know now how to get, put the puck to a next layer without icing it or putting it somewhere to create a, a foot race or an awkward puck for the B to handle, whatever it is. Um, that, that, that happens in the game, you know, 40 times now, whereas like two years ago, you never saw that happen just two years ago, you know, maybe, maybe a couple of times a game, um, you know, so again, um, so what, what that did is sort of, it's taken out the neutral zone a bit where it's not like you're, you're not seeing these like, you know, um, you know, these clean three on twos a lot, um, and things like that, because again, unless it's off a broken player or turnover, you're not, you're not seeing teams create that way. So you're seeing again, you know, more settled possession and guy like Trevor Lewis. Okay. Well, let's say the game goes back to being, you know, more through the neutral zone. Okay. Well, he can still play, you know, he's still an effective player on your team. If the game becomes more, okay, we're going to sort of put a puck in this area you got to win that space, get the puck, and then we're going to set possession and use all five guys, activate our D. You can play in that game too. Um, you know, so you want guys like that where, where, again, stay in the center, you'll be ready to move in any direction. Guys that are sort of uh, sort of fit that 
that quote um, as people and as and as athletes. And I think if you can if you can get a lot of those guys, and it may be a luck out, and then and you don't bank on it, but maybe you do luck out and get you know you get some you know you draft your draft pans out the way you want, and then you know then all of a sudden you got you got something to really work with. But um, you know, but it's yeah, uh, obviously it's easier it's easier for me to say you know from a distance on the phone than you know <laughs> than uh, to, to actually practice these things. Um, you know, with, with, uh, you know, jobs, no, because people, everyone has a job on the line and there's a lot of pressure. So it's, again, it's easier for me to stay in practice and or in theory than it is to actually execute. Um, but to me, that, to your point about Trevor Lewis, that's really, um, you know, that's really why a guy like that can have success and why you, you want him on your team. Man, we've got about 40 minutes and we've barely scratched the surface on most of the things I want to talk to you about. <laughs> Um, I definitely want to have you back on. I think I'm going to wrap it up at this point, though. I know you uh, you have a tendency to shy away from self-promotion, but this is your chance to self-promote. Um, if you want to tell uh, Kings fans who you are, why anybody should bother listening to you, and where they can go to, to find more from you. Uh, well, uh, um, yeah, I've actually I've always liked the Kings, uh, you know, since their cup year. Um, you know, because at that point I was, you know, I was. Uh, just sort of a just sort of a young fan. I, I loved watching Doughty play, and I love their jerseys. I know it sounds stupid, but <laughs> I love their jerseys. They're like very simple, uh, very very clean. Um, so I've always I've always had a you know an affinity for the Kings. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean I don't again I, I don't really uh, the self promotion part is a little hard. But if you you know if you find, if you end up finding me online somehow and you like my thoughts then then great uh, and if you have anything to add to it feel free to feel free to reach out or um or at or add your two cents um you know i i always appreciate that and uh yeah i mean again for me like i'll talk i'll talk hockey all day so you know i'm just really a student and a fan of, of the game um and just fortunate i'm fortunate enough to be able to you know put that passion into practice with you know guys that are you know playing the league and um want to play in the league and you know draft picks and things like that so it's fun to have, you know, talk about these things and have a little more involvement or, um, you know, know a little bit more of what's going on behind the scenes just through, through these guys. So I've, I'm fortunate enough to be able to do that. Um, but in terms of Kings fans, I'm all the way out in Boston. Um, but, you know, if you're in the area, let me know and uh, maybe we can get coffee and talk and talk some hockey. Or you can follow him on Twitter uh, at Peter underscore Russo nine. Pete, thank you very much for joining me. I've enjoyed the heck out of this. No problem, Jesse. It was awesome. Thanks for listening, Kings fans. We'll talk to you soon.